Viewpoint on Mormonism, the program that examines the teachings of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints from a biblical perspective. Viewpoint on Mormonism is sponsored by Mormonism Research Ministry. Since 1979, Mormonism Research Ministry has been dedicated to equipping the body of Christ with answers regarding the Christian faith in a manner that expresses gentleness and respect. And now, your host for today's Viewpoint on Mormonism. Our thanks to Adams Road Band for that musical introduction. Welcome to this edition of Viewpoint on Mormonism. I'm your host, Bill McKeever, founder and director of Mormonism Research Ministry, and with me today is Eric Johnson, my colleague at MRM. This week we've been looking at the last public message, a conference message, that was given by acting president of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles, President M. Russell Ballard. He gave this talk on October 1st, 2023. If you'd like to read the transcript, it's in the November 2023 edition of the Leahona magazine. And by the way, you don't have to have a subscription to that magazine. You can go on to the official website of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and you can look at that issue for yourself, because it is online, as are a lot of publications put out by the LDS Church. This message was given by Ballard about six weeks before he passed away. He was in his mid-90s. He could have very well known that this was going to be his last public message, and yet he chose to speak about Joseph Smith. Not so much Jesus Christ, because the title of his message was Praise to the Man, which of course, as we read yesterday, is a hymn that Latter-day Saints sing. It's hymn number 27 in their songbook. Ballard goes on to talk about his testimony. He says, My testimony to you this morning is how abundantly blessed we are to know all that we know because we have Joseph Smith, the prophet of this last dispensation of time. We have an understanding of the purpose of life, of who we are. Now, you have to understand, this statement comes right after he talks about the event of the first vision. The first vision, as we've also mentioned this week, is fraught with a lot of contradiction. The first vision that most Latter-day Saints read about and memorize today is what's known as the 1838 account, where they are told that God the Father and Jesus showed up to tell Joseph Smith that all the churches were wrong. In his first handwritten account, however, Joseph Smith doesn't mention God the Father. He mentions only Jesus showed up, his reason for praying in the first place, was to know if his sins were forgiven. And I was mentioning this week how Latter-day Saints, including M. Russell Ballard, like to conflate the different accounts that Joseph Smith has given us to make it sound like it's one big harmonious rendition. Bill, we've been talking all week about the centrality of Joseph Smith to what M. Russell Ballard is talking about, but it's not unique to LDS teachers, the general authorities throughout the years. Very clearly, it's centered on Joseph Smith. And while Latter-day Saints do not worship Joseph Smith, without Joseph Smith, there is no such thing as Mormonism. A correlated curriculum called True to the Faith, a Gospel Reference and this was in 2004, page 90, it says this, For your testimony of the restored gospel to be complete, it must include a testimony of Joseph Smith's divine mission. The truthfulness of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints rests on the truthfulness of the first vision and the other revelations the Lord gave to the prophet Joseph. So we shouldn't be surprised, Bill, that Ballard has made a big point of this first vision, which is fraught with problems, as you're pointing out. Well, another statement was made by Gordon B. Hinckley, who was the 15th president of the LDS Church. 
And this was recorded in the Church News, July 1st, 2006. It was titled, Testimony of the First Vision. This is what Gordon B. Hinckley said. There's no other event in all recorded history that compares with it, not even at the baptism of the Savior. If it is so important, why is it that nobody knew about this in the early years of the church? Ballard goes on and says, we know who God is, we know who the Savior is, because we have Joseph, who went into a grove of trees as a boy, seeking forgiveness for his sins. But Bill, I I asked the question, what exactly did the first vision give us to be able to help us know who God is or know who the Savior is just because he, he had the guts to go into a grove of trees? Because the first vision is all about the great apostasy and how all of the churches were wrong and how all the creeds were an abomination. The creeds would be the teachings of the Christian church at that time and all their professors or their pastors are corrupt. That's the main message of the first vision. It doesn't really give us an insight as to who God is or who Jesus is or how a person is supposed to receive salvation. And as I mentioned earlier in this week, Ballard uses that event as a selling point for his faith. And it's used often by a lot of leaders as a selling point of the faith. But yet, how come it wasn't used as a selling point in the early years of the church? If Joseph Smith really had this experience, why is it we don't hear about it? Now, I want to read you something that is from a booklet called The Palmyra Revival and Mormon Origins by Reverend Wesley Walters. Wes Walters was a Presbyterian pastor who did a lot of research into the early years of Mormonism. After he had passed away, his wife allowed us to reprint this. And at the end, I put in an appendix called The First Vision's Slow Entrance into the LDS Story. In that little appendix, I included a portion from an article written by an LDS historian, a man by the name of James B. Allen. What I'm about to quote was found in a publication called Dialogue, a Journal of Mormon Thought, Autumn 1966, pages 30 to 32. This is what Mr. Allen wrote. According to Joseph Smith, he told the story of the vision immediately after it happened in the early spring of 1820. He says later on in his life that his persecution from the vision that he had, but yet that's not really true. Most of the persecution, as Mr. Allen's going to bring out, wasn't for the story of the first vision at all. It was more for the story of the appearance of the angel Moroni in the gold plates. And he's going to bring this out in this portion that I'm reading. Mr. Allen writes, as a result, he said, he received immediate criticism in the community. There is little, if any, evidence, however, that by the early 1830s, Joseph Smith was telling the story in public. At least if he were telling it, no one seemed to consider it important enough to have recorded it at the time, and no one was criticizing him for it. Not even in his own history did Joseph Smith mention being criticized in this period for telling the story of the first vision. The interest, rather, was in the Book of Mormon and the various angelic visitations connected with its origin. Allen goes on to say, The fact that none of the available contemporary writings about Joseph Smith in the 1830s, none of the publications of the church in that decade, and no contemporary journal or correspondence yet discovered mentions the story of the first vision is convincing evidence that, at best, it received only limited circulation in those early days. In February 1830, for example, a farmer who lived about 50 miles from Palmyra, New York, 
wrote a letter describing the religious fervor in western New York and particularly the coming forth of the Book of Mormon. No mention was made, however, of the idea that Joseph Smith had beheld deity. And then he goes on to explain, as I talked about earlier, that a lot of the early criticisms written about Joseph Smith and the LDS movement, none of those early criticisms mention the first vision as it's understood by Latter-day Saints today. As an important event as it is, in the early years, nobody knew about this so-called important event. When Ballard says, my testimony to you this morning is how abundantly blessed we are to know all that we know because we have Joseph Smith, the prophet of this last dispensation of time. I think you're right. When we look at the first vision, all it basically is, is an account of how God the Father and Jesus, one of the two, or maybe both simultaneously, tell Joseph Smith that all the churches are wrong. You see, that's really the crowning point, and this is why a lot of Latter-day Saints look at us as, of course, believing things that are not all that important. Well, I had one Latter-day Saint say to me, he's more on a university level, whereas I'm only on a high school level. He has much more than I do because of the things that Joseph Smith allegedly gave him, and it's given through the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. But the question is, What if what Joseph Smith gave is false? And Christians, such as ourselves, have for decades been trying to point out to Latter-day Saints the problems that we see in LDS theology, the problems that we see in LDS history, not because we want to make them look stupid or make them feel bad. We want them to see that it does not honor God to believe something that's false, And if Joseph Smith, in fact, taught a lot of the things that most Latter-day Saints agree he taught, then you have to conclude that Latter-day Saints are, in fact, believing things that are not true, that, in fact, contradict what God has revealed in the New Testament. Shouldn't that message be told? I think it should be. And Paul writes in Ephesians 4.15 that we're commanded to speak the truth in love. We don't take delight in trying to tell Latter-day Saints that they have wrong beliefs. But when a guy like M. Russell Ballard gets up at General Conference and gives a talk called Praise to the Man, and the whole talk is about glorifying a human being who we believe is a false prophet— Again, we don't take delight in telling Latter-day Saints they're wrong, but at the same time, we're obligated to tell them that if Joseph Smith is not a true prophet, what about their spiritual condition? Are they able to get forgiveness of sins through what this church teaches? One of the things that you never hear Latter-day Saint leaders talk about is some of Joseph Smith's dubious behavior, especially when it came to the subject of plural marriage. You cannot, and I've said this many times, you cannot talk about the LDS doctrine of plural marriage and separate it from lying, because it's all about lying, and Joseph Smith in particular. Now, here's M. Russell Ballard praising the man. You're praising the man that lied to his wife about all the women he was betting behind her back. He would be asked about plural marriage, and he would lie to his wife about it. Is this a man you really want to praise? Because I've said it many times, a man that will lie to his wife will lie to anybody. We did a whole series on the book Mormon Enigma, and one of the stories that I just cannot forget is how he marries the Partridge sisters, two ladies, marries them um, behind Emma's back while she's out of town, and then later 
she agrees that she'll let him marry some other women as long as she gets to pick. And so she picked the Partridge sisters. So in, in essence, Joseph Smith said to the sisters, don't say anything. Let's just go through this ceremony anyway. And then later, he's actually trying to have relations with them in his house, and she gets upset about it because she didn't realize it was for this life and for the next as well. She just thought it was a spiritual thing, but she found out real quick that it wasn't. Uh, Yeah, you're right. Anybody who's going to lie to his wife, as Joseph Smith did, is not somebody to be commended. And Joseph Smith was known from outsiders as having a very dubious character. He wasn't somebody that most people would probably want to trust. The fact the Smith family was known for not being very trustworthy and kind of shifty. If you read the account of of the people that lived in the area where he was in Palmyra, New York, and there's there's been a book on the history of that area, and it has a whole section dedicated to the Smith family. There was all sorts of problems, but this is often overlooked. Don't you think, if you're a Latter-day Saint listening to me, don't you think you ought to know this? Don't you think you ought to know what kind of a character this man had? The way he treated his wife, especially when it came to these secret marriages? What if we learned that the current president of the church was doing that to his wife? Would you want to trust in this guy? If not, why do you do it with Joseph Smith? Just because this happened in the 19th century and it's not happening right now, wasn't it just as egregious back then as it would be now? We can't erase this history. It's been put forth in their own documents. This is how we know about this. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information regarding Mormonism Research Ministry, we encourage you to visit our website at www.mrm.org, where you can request our free newsletter, Mormonism Researched. We hope you will join us again as we look at another viewpoint on Mormonism.